Section six of Drake by Alfred Noyes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Book three, part two. Over the grim precipitous edge he hung, an eagle waiting for the lightning now to swoop upon his prey. One iron hand gripped a rough tree root like a bunch of snakes and as the rain rushed round him far away he saw to northward yet another flash a scribble of god's finger in the sky over a waste of white stampeding waves his eye flashed like a falcon as he saw it and from his lips there burst the sea king's laugh for there with a fierce joy he knew he knew doughty at last an open mutineer an open foe to fight ay there she went his golden hind his little golden hind a wild deserter scudding to the north and almost ere the lightning drake had gone crashing down the face of the precipice by a narrow water-gully and through the huge forest he tore the straight and perilous way down to the shore while three miles to the north upon the wet poop of the golden hind doughty stood smiling scarce would he have smiled knowing that drake had seen him from that tower amidst the thunders but indeed he thought he had escaped unseen amidst the storm many a day he had worked upon the crew fanning their fears and doubts until he won the more part to his side and when they reached that coast he showed them how drake meant to sail southward into that unknown void but he would have them suddenly slip by stealth away northward to darien showing them what a life of roistering glory waited for them there if laying aside this empty quest they joined the merry feasters round those island fires which over many a dark blue creek illumed buccaneer camps in scarlet logwood groves fringing the gulf of mexico till dawn summoned the black flags out to sweep the sea but when drake reached the flower embowered boat and found the men awaiting his return there in a sheltering grove of breadfruit trees beneath great eaves of leafage that obscured their sight but kept the storm out as they tossed pieces of eight or rattled the bone dice his voice went through them like a thunderbolt for none of them had seen the golden hind steal from the bay and now the billows burst like cannon down the coast and they had thought their boat could not be launched until the storm abated under drake's compelling eyes nevertheless they pulled her down the creek without one word waiting their chance 
then all together with their brandished oars they thrust and on the fierce white outdraft of a wave they shot up up and over the toppling crest of the next and plunged crashing into the trough behind it then they settled at their thwarts and the fierce water boiled before their blades as with drake's iron hand upon the helm they soared and crashed across the rolling seas not for the spanish prize did drake now steer but for that little ship the marigold swiftest of sail next to the golden hind and in the hands of francis drake indeed swiftest of all and ere the seamen knew what power as of a wind bore them along anchor was up their hands were on the sheets the sails were broken out the marigold was flying like a storm cloud to the north and on her poop an iron statue still as death stood francis drake one hour they rushed northward with green seas washing o'er the deck and buffeted with splendour then they saw the golden hind like some wing-broken gull with torn mismanaged plumes beating the air in peril of utter shipwreck saw her fly half-mast a feeble signal of distress despite all doughty's curses for her crew wild with divisions torn amongst themselves most gladly now surrendered in their hearts as close alongside grandly onward swept the marigold with canvas trim and taut magnificently drawing the full wind her gunners waiting at their loaded guns bare-armed and silent and that iron soul alone upon her silent quarter-deck there they hauled up into the wind and lay rocking while drake alone without a guard boarding the runaway dismissed his boat back to the marigold then his voice outrang trumpet-like o'er the trembling mutineers and clearly as if they were but busied still about the day's routine they hid their shame as men that would propitiate a god by flying to fulfil his lightest word and ere they knew what power as of a wind impelled them that half-wreck was trim and taut her sails all drawing and her bows afoam and creeping past the marigold once more she led their southward way and not till then did drake vouchsafe one word to the white face of doughty as he furtively slunk nigh with some new lie upon his fear-parched lips thirsting for utterance in his crackling laugh of deprecation and with one ruffling puff of pigeon courage in his blinded soul i am no sea-dog even francis drake would scarce misuse a gentleman then drake turned 
and summoned four swart seamen out by name his words went like a cold wind through their flesh as with a passionless voice he slowly said take ye this fellow bind him to the mast until what time i shall decide his fate and doughty gasped as at the world's blank end nay francis cried he wilt thou thus misuse a gentleman but as the seamen gripped his arms he struggled vainly and furiously to throw them off and in his impotence let slip the whole of his treacherous cause and hope in empty wrath for god he foamed and snarled ye shall all smart for this when we return unhand me dogs i have lord burley's power behind me there is nothing i have done without his warrant ye shall smart for this unhand me i say unhand me and in one flash drake saw the truth and doughty saw his eyes lighten upon him and his false heart quailed once more and he suddenly suffered himself quietly strangely to be led away and bound without a murmur to the mast and strangely drake remembered as those words ye shall all smart for this when we return yelped at his faith how while the dover cliffs faded from sight he leaned to his new friend doughty and said i blame them not who stay i blame them not at all who cling to home for many of us indeed shall not return nor ever know that sweetness any more and when they had reached their anchorage anew drake having now resolved to bring his fleet beneath a more compact control at once took all the men and the chief guns and stores from out the spanish prize and sent tom moon to set the hulk afire also he bade unbind the traitor and ordered him aboard the pinnace christopher john doughty too he ordered thither into the grim charge of old tom moon thinking it best to keep the poisonous leaven carefully apart until they had won well southward to a place where finally committed to their quest they might arraign the traitor without fear or favour and acquit him or condemn but those two brothers doubting as the false are damned to doubt saw murder in his eyes and thought he means to sink the smack one night and they refused to go till drake abruptly ordered them straightway to be slung on board with ropes the daylight waned but ere the sun sank the five ships were plunging to the south for drake would halt no longer lest the crews also should halt betwixt two purposes he took the tide of fortune at the flood and onward through the now subsiding storm ere they could think what power as of a wind 
impelled them, he had swept them on their way. Far, far into the night they saw the blaze that leapt in crimson o'er the abandoned hulk behind them, like a mighty hecatomb, marking the path of some titanic will. Many a night and day they southward drove. Sometimes at midnight round them all the sea quivered with witches' oils and water-snakes, green, blue, and red, with lambent tongues of fire. Mile upon mile about the blurred black hulls a cauldron of tempestuous colour coiled. On every mast mysterious meteors burned, and from the shores a bellowing rose and fell, as of great bestial gods that walked all night through some wild hell unknown, too vast for men. But when the silver and crimson of the dawn broke out, they saw the tropic shores anew, the fair white foam, and, round about the rocks, weird troops of tusked sea-lions, and the world mixed with their dreams, and made them stranger still. And once so fierce a tempest scattered the fleet, that even the hardiest souls began to think there was a Jonah with them, for the seas rose round them like green mountains peaked and rigged with heights of alpine snow amongst the clouds. And many a league to southward, when the ships gathered again amidst the sinking waves, four only met. The ship of Thomas Drake was missing, and some thought it had gone down with all hands in the storm. But Francis Drake held on his way, learning from hour to hour to merge himself in immortality, learning the secrets of those pitiless laws which dwarf all mortal grief, all human pain, to something less than nothing by the side of that eternal travail dimly guessed, since first he felt in the miraculous dark the great bones of the mastodon that hulk of immemorial death he learned to judge the passing pageant of this outward world as by the touchstone of that memory even as in that country which some said lay now not far the great tezcucan king resting his jewelled hand upon a skull and on a smouldering glory of jewels throned there in his temple of the unknown god over the host of aztec princes clad in golden hauberks gleaming under soft surcoats of green or scarlet featherwork could in the presence of a mightier power than life or death give up his guilty sons his only sons to the sacrificial sword and hour by hour the soul of francis drake unconscious as an oak tree of its growth increased in strength and stature as he drew earth heaven and hell within him more and more for as the dream we call our world 
with all its hues is but a picture in the brain so did his soul enfold the universe with gradual sense of superhuman power while every visible shape within the vast horizon seemed the symbol of some thought waiting for utterance he had found indeed god's own nirvana not of empty dream but of intensest life nor did he think aught of all this but as the rustic deems the colours that he carries in his brain are somehow all outside him while he peers unaltered through two windows in his face drake only knew that as the four ships plunged southward the world mysteriously grew more like a prophet's vision hour by hour fraught with dark omens and significances a world of hieroglyphs and sacred signs wherein he seemed to read the truth that lay hid from the roman augurs when of old they told the future from the flight of birds how vivid with disaster seemed the flight of those blood-red flamingos o'er the dim blue steaming forest like two terrible thoughts flashing unapprehended through his brain and now as they drove southward day and night through storm and calm the shores that fleeted by grew wilder grander with his growing soul and pregnant with the approaching mystery and now along the patagonian coast they cruised and in the solemn midnight saw wildernesses of shaggy barren marl petrified seas of lava league on league craters and bouldered slopes and granite cliffs with ragged rents grim gorges deep ravines and precipice on precipice up-piled innumerable to those dim distances where over valleys hanging in the clouds gigantic mountains and volcanic peaks catching the wefts of cirrus fleece appeared to smoke against the sky though all was now dead as that frozen chaos of the moon or some huge passion of a slaughtered soul prostrate under the marching of the stars at last and in a silver dawn they came suddenly on a broad-winged estuary and in the midst of it an island lay there they found shelter on its leeward side and drake convened upon the golden hind his dread court-martial two long hours he heard defence and accusation then broke up the conclave and with burning heart and brain feverishly seeking everywhere some sign to guide him went ashore upon that isle and lo turning a rugged point of rock he rubbed his eyes to find out if he dreamed for there a crusoe's wonder a miracle a sign before him stood on that lone strand stark 
with a stern arm pointing out his way and jangling still one withered skeleton the grim black gallows where magellan hanged his mutineers its base was white with bones picked by the gulls and crumbling o'er the sand a dread sea salt dry from the tides of time there on that lonely shore death's finger-post stood like some old forgotten truth made strange by the long lapse of many memories all starting up in resurrection now as at the trump of doom heroic ghosts out of the cells and graves of his deep brain reproaching him were this man not thy friend ere now he should have died the traitor's death what wilt thou say to others if they too prove false or wilt thou slay the lesser and save the greater sinner nay if thy right hand offend thee cut it off and in one flash drake saw his path and chose it with a voice low as the passionless anguished voice of fate that comprehends all pain but girds it round with iron lest some random cry break out for man's misguidance he drew all his men around him saying ye all know how i loved doughty who hath betrayed me twice and thrice for i still trusted him he was no felon that i should turn my heart away from him he is the type and image of man's laws while i am lawless as the soul that still must sail and seek a world beyond the worlds a law behind earth's laws i dare not judge but ye who know the mighty goal we seek who have seen him sap our courage hour by hour till god himself almost appeared a dream behind his technicalities and doubts of aught he could not touch or handle ye who have seen him stir up jealousy and strife between our seamen and our gentlemen even as the world stirs up continual strife bidding the man forget he is a man with god's own patent of nobility ye who have seen him strike this last sharp blow sharper than any enemy hath struck he whom i trusted he alone could strike so sharply for indeed i loved this man judge ye for see i cannot do not doubt i loved this man but now if ye will let him have his life o oh, speak but if ye think it must be death hold up your hands in silence his voice dropped and eagerly he whispered forth one word beyond the scope of fate i would not have him die there was no sound save the long thunder of eternal seas drake bowed his head and waited suddenly one man upheld his hand then 
all at once a brawny forest of brown arms arose in silence and the great sea whispered death there with one big swift impulse francis drake held out his right sun-blackened hand and gripped the hand that doughty proffered him and lo doughty laughed out and said since i must die let us have one more hour of comradeship one hour as old companions let us make a feast here on this island ere i go where there is no more feasting so they made a great and solemn banquet as the day decreased and doughty bade them all unlock their sea chests and bring out their rich array there by that wandering ocean of the west in crimson doublets lined and slashed with gold in broidered lace and double golden chains embossed with rubies and great cloudy pearls they feasted gentlemen adventurers drinking old malmsey as the sun sank down now doughty fronting the rich death of day and flourishing a silver pouncet box with many a courtly jest and rare conceit there as he sat in rich attire outbraved the rest though darker hued yet richer far his murray-coloured doublet double-piled of genoa velvet puffed with cypress shone for over its grave hues the gems that bossed his golden collar wondrously relieved blazed lustrous to the west like stars but drake was clad in black with midnight silver slashed and at his side a great two-handed sword at last they rose just as the sun's last rays rested upon the heaving molten gold immeasurable the long slow sigh of the waves that creamed across the lonely time-worn reef all round the island seemed the very voice of the everlasting black against the sea the gallows of magellan stretched its arm with the gaunt skeleton and its rusty chain creaking and swinging in the solemn breath of eventide like some strange pendulum measuring out the moments that remained there did they take the holy sacrament of jesus body and blood then doughty and drake kissed each other as brothers on the cheek and doughty knelt and drake without one word leaning upon the two-edged naked sword stood at his side with iron lips and eyes full of the sunset while the doomed man bowed his head upon a rock the great sun dropped suddenly and the land and sea were dark and as it were a sign drake lifted up the gleaming sword it seemed to sweep the heavens down in its arc as he smote once and no more then for a moment silence froze their veins till one fierce seaman stooped with a hoarse cry and 
like an eagle clutching up its prey his arm swooped down and bore the head aloft gorily streaming by the long dark hair and a great shout went up so perish all traitors to god and england then drake turned and bade them to their ships and wondering they left him as the boats thrust out from shore brave old tom moon looked back with faithful eyes like a great mastiff to his master's face he looming larger from his loftier ground clad with the slowly gathering night of stars and gazing seaward o'er his quiet dead seemed like some titan bronze in grandeur based unshakable until the crash of doom shatter the black foundations of the world end of book three